people are operating those that that sense of not good enoughness that they're dealing with internally is is um, a window into what Saint Paul is talking about when he talks about the law of, of death, the law of condemnation. Much of our exhaustion and um, difficulty and stress and disappointment in life comes from uh, approaching it from the point of view of the law of life is a matter of uh, a problem to be solved a, a standard to be reached which just fuels despair my sense is that people normally do walk on glass to get to church like they don't show up there by accident um, very rarely do they, at least in the circles in which we operate. And so some sense of burden or um, suffering or condemnation has usually brought them there. I think in, in terms of the preaching of every Sunday, I want to assume that why people, that people are in pain. And even if they don't think they are, uh, I'm preaching to the one that is actively in pain. This sense of condemnation, it, they're not alone in it, and that God actually, the themes of the Bible are the, are the same themes of life, and the gospel addresses those things, not in, in concrete terms, too, not in, um, just, not with just platitudes, but with, like, blood. This is New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones, and my co-host Bill Bohr and I recently had the privilege of talking with David Zoll, the director of Mockingbird Ministries, and the co-author of Law and Gospel, A Theology for Sinners and Saints. We hope you enjoy the conversation. First of all, it's good to meet you. I've, I feel like I know a little bit of your work and uh, really appreciate uh, Mockingbird Ministries and the website. I, you know, I'm just getting to know you as well, and maybe for our listeners, tell us a little bit about Mockingbird Ministries. Uh, sure, Mockingbird was, we started it in 2007. It was started as a way, it's kind of um, uh, out of the box way to reach young adults and sort of people who we'd felt had been burned by a message of heavy <laughs> legalism. And uh, it was started in New York by a bunch of friends, really. And um, it soon just, we tried a bunch of things. We didn't have that much uh, that we were trying to do. Um, so we, uh, yeah, we started this ministry and just tried to do a bunch of things. And what happened eventually was that this website took off and some conferences. And it was f certainly formed around like a, a theological framework of law and gospel and the theology of the cross and a bunch of Pretty much everyone was Episcopalian, but that was just because of natural affinities. Uh, my father was sort of involved. Uh, he's an Episcopal minister. Um, and it just grew. It grew to it, denominationally. It grew. It grew in terms of numbers. Um, but it's become something very different than what we set out to do, which is, I guess, it's sort of like a media thing. Yeah, I, I, I was, it's it's it's. Really jam packed with substantive stuff. I mean, uh, you know, I, I won't, uh, I have another analogy in my mind, but I, I'm not going to mention that website. But, uh, but the difference is you have a lot of stuff and it's all, it's all substantive. Oh. And, and, and I appreciate that a lot. Well, thank you. Thank you. You know, yeah. 
we didn't set out to like start some sort of a culture thing or a, a web ministry. It, it came together pretty organically and through um, shared interests, but also, I mean, we're always trying to actively expand the the voices that are saying the kind of the same thing. Um, but Mockingbird itself refers to the bird repeating the message it's heard over and over again and trying to be creative and fresh uh, and uh, without getting into too much complacency, I guess. Um, hmm. But also not getting too disembodied. I think it's important to do our conferences. and to, there's, a, there's a real relational network that underlies the whole thing, that gives it a lot of life that you don't see on the web. Yeah, and for folks who are listening, if you've not connected with Mockingbird, either online or – I mean, the conference, uh, my wife Lindy and I went last – or two springs ago, and um, it was awesome. I mean, we just had a really great time and wonderful people and great food and great conversation. I mean, it's really – I would say if you're anywhere close to one of those conferences, uh, it's well worth checking out. I want to ask you a question, David. You say in the in this new book, which I want to talk about a little bit, but there's this passage that raised kind of a question in my mind for you. You say in the Law and Gospel book that while modern-day Christian conservatives believe in original sin, the penalty of death, and generally have all their doctrinal ducks in a row, they'll quickly select out of the depraved category through sanctification, out of the hell category through strong assurance of their salvation. And modern-day Christian liberals simply don't talk much about sin and death viewing evil as less of a personal force and more of a justice problem. And you could talk about it's both a sin makes us guilty and victims. Like, how would you situate Mockingbird on the American religious landscape? I mean, that's tricky because you never want to be, you know, pinned down, right? Um, You're going to make it multiple choice. I'd be like, A, so fundamentalism, B, now. <laughs> We're we're mostly every most of the people that I know that are at least on the ground floor of Mockingbird are mainline Protestants that have some sort of more low church, uh, even evangelical sort of with a low e bent. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't. We have we have a fair amount of. People coming from more evangelical backgrounds, and then we have a lot of people that come from more liberal backgrounds or non-church backgrounds. But I'd say that most of us didn't grow up in the the capital E evangelical setting, so we've got different sets of um, presumptions or preoccupations. Uh, you know, we've watched churches decline and implode, and um, uh, churchiness kind of take over. So there was there was a real desire to get back to the core ideas and the animating the intellectual um, substance. But um, it's increasingly difficult. I mean, if you were to ask, like, what's the denominational makeup of the people that work for, that write for Mockingbird? I mean, our offices are housed in an Episcopal church in Virginia. Uh, we have a lot of, I'd say there's probably a lot of Lutherans that are involved, some Presbyterians that write for us, a bunch of people that are, go to non-denominational churches. When people ask me for a label now, I, I've, I've told folks that no adjective in front of Christian has ever made sense to me. So I'm just kind of, because I have enough trouble just being a Christian. You know, I've been a bad yeah. bunch of other things. And uh, so I'm just kind of a, a mediocre Christian and, and, and try to do that. Um, 
the book. I thought it was a great, great book. I, you know, I really enjoyed it. It reminded me, I told Scott, it reminded me of, uh, and this isn't any insult, but, you know, when, when InterVarsity Press about 25, 30 years ago were really writing really smart books that were geared towards, um, you know, I would say not necessarily, it didn't have to be an academic, but they were theologically informed dealing with critical issues. It really reminds me of some really seminal books that I read during that period when I was in college and, and uh, as a young adult, and I appreciated that. You know, one of the things that really struck me about the book was it, it, you, you seem to me to capture um, what Paul's trying to do with the law metaphor. Because I think, again, without getting too um, uh, in-depth in biblical scholarship, I think what Paul does with the law is really interesting. It's different in between Galatians and Romans. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't know that I've ever read a, a popular account and, and that's so theologically informed that has dealt with it as well as you do. So maybe for folks who haven't read the book, can you give a summary of, of what, when you talk about law, what do you mean about law? What do you, what do you refer to in the book? Oh, well, first of all, like it, the book was an attempt to sort of popularize the law and gospel distinction, which is found in all sorts of Protestant. And it's, it's all back way back in the Pauline witness. Someone, I mean, Jesus uh, dealt with law and gospel, but Perhaps um, Jesus said it best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after, you know, to paraphrase Jesus Christ himself. Um, so we we felt that that had been lost, and a lot of the misunderstanding of the law had accounted for a lot of real right. huge damage done to Christian believers and churches. And when I was dealing with people who were coming from Christian backgrounds, almost everything they articulated was what sounded to me like a uh, being bludgeoned with the law in the life of a believer and no gospel. And so uh, one of the things we tried to do is sort of, I guess the, it, we're trying to be phenomenological and less um, build it up rather than um, break it down from sort of experience and literature and culture and, of course, the Bible. Uh, but when we talk about law, we're talking about the sort of one of the principal forces in the world of demand of um, standard of criticism of judgment, uh, which is, of course, embodied in the capital L law of the Old Testament. But what I see is the uh, one of the things that I think people find accessible about Mockingbird, something that really preaches and reaches people is how the various laws, the little L laws of society, which are not good or holy in any sense, in fact, that they're often quite arbitrary and cruel. How people are operating those, that, that sense of not good enoughness that they're dealing with internally is is um, a window into what St. Paul is talking about when he talks about the law of, of death, the law of condemnation, the law which the letter kills, all these, uh, when, he, when he's contrasting the flesh and the spirit, um, especially when it comes to the commandment, how the commandment comes in to sort of expose, create sin and expose it. Um, I mean, I, I, I see that we live in a culture and a world because we're human beings that are wired for this, for this stuff. We, it is our, Paul talks about it being written on the heart. I mean, um, it doesn't take uh, much to find examples of laws that we're subscribing to and trying to justify ourselves according to. But we felt when, when we at least were starting Mockingbird that this, what seemed like a blatantly obvious connection of the Christian understanding of the world and how the world actually 
talk about the law, but you, you kind of take the little L laws that we experience, you know, thou shalt be happy, beautiful, thou shalt be skinny, thou shalt be whatever it is. And, you know, every corner of society deals with it slightly differently, but that ought, we wanted to talk about that and how that, that maybe is a reflection of a, of a, of a, of a greater ought and much of our exhaustion and, um, difficulty and stress and disappointment in life comes from uh, approaching it from the point of view of the law of life is a matter of uh, a problem to be solved, a, a standard to be reached, which just fuels despair. Right. It, it seems like, you know, some churches and, and some preaching seems to assume like what you have to do is, all right, you, you got to, Put the law out there and, and, and show people that they don't measure up. And it almost sounds like, from reading the book, I almost took away, actually, you don't need to do that. Every person that comes through the doors of any congregation already feels the sting of, of the law all over the place in different ways. And so it, it almost seems like it's more the art of listening to where the sting of it is hitting in, up against their lives, whether it's the soccer mom or the frustrated, insecure, whoever it is. Mm -hmm. and, and so more of a sort of, uh, 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 the art of listening to like where the gospel or, and where grace is the bomb for where the wound already is rather than trying to create the wound or provoke it. Well, that's like you, you touched on the kind of a, uh, I don't know, a sensitive area in terms of how much law needs to be preached from the pulpit. Um, my sense is that people normally do walk on glass to get to church. Like they don't show up there by accident. Um, very rarely do they, at least in the circles in which we operate. And so some sense of burden or um, suffering or condemnation has usually brought them there. So it, I, I think you don't, it's not like you don't act like it doesn't happen. You don't try to gloss over the law. You acknowledge the law's killing work and how you, you can do that in a variety of ways. Um, and I don't think it involves playing down the, um, the Sermon on the Mountain anyway. In fact, I think it involves playing it up. But um, I think in, in terms of the preaching of every Sunday, I want to assume that why people, that people are in pain. And even if they don't think they are, uh, I'm preaching to the one that is actively in pain or actively sure. suffering the... Um, that is the, the law has done its work, so to speak. Like, let's um, point them to the gospel, and that means sort of when you preach the law, what you're really doing is letting a person know that they're understood, that their experience of the world is not crazy or is not insane. That this mm -hmm. sense of condemnation, it, they're not alone in it, and that God actually, the themes of the Bible are the are the same themes of life, and. The gospel addresses those things, not in in concrete terms, too. Not in um, just not with just platitudes, but with like blood. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that actually leads to a quote that we both really liked when uh, it's later in the book when you're talking about the violence of the cross. Mm. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll put the full quote uh, on the feed, but. Um, Again, a lot of people uh, in various circles uh, have tried to reconfigure um, the some of the traditional ways of talking about the cross away from 
the violence, if you would, okay, or to try to explain away the violence. And, you know, you all seem to dive right into it. And uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about that, because I thought that what you said about that was really yeah, profound. Um, I liked it I a think lot. You hear things when people talk about, they take issue with the cross, God being like a cosmic child abuser or something like that. That always sounds so hackneyed to me at this point, because it, it's such an anthropomorphic uh, view of God that takes away any agency on behalf of Christ. And it, it actually reinforces the kind of sky bully view of God that I don't think is true to scripture. But the way we talk about it and the way I see it is that um, to love another person is to suffer. And it's not to suffer in a, um, in a uh, non, uh, in a sort of a nice way. It's to suffer, it's to shed blood. And we quote Brene Brown and say that, you know, uh, the great social worker who just talks about it's it's very difficult to trust, forget where, where forgiveness is easy, where love is just proclaimed as sort of an airy fairy kind of nicety. Um, there's not enough blood on the floor to make sense of that. That's what she says. And I, that that's always struck me because I think that um, if God really is love, what does it look like to love? Another? I, I know what it's like somewhat to love another human being who resists love and who actually often hates love um they lash out they cause pain they they shed blood so so you don't have to get if people find the economics of it um difficult or uh, reductionistic or something like that i understand that but i also think that relationships tend to operate more economically than we would care to admit and that God would sort of descend into that nonsense into which we find ourselves is, I think, an ultimately extremely loving, uh, a compassionate gesture. But I also think that a God that doesn't suffer, that doesn't shed blood, is just not a, it's not a God that you can feel loved by. So um, I think that uh, the there is agency there. I, I don't know if we want to. I'm a person who believes in substitutionary atonement, but I also have, I understand the atonement in sort of more Lutheran ways of people rejecting uh, rejecting unconditional love to the extent that they kill it. Um, but for me, for me to trust in the assurance of the cross, it is important to see the blood that was shed. Um, and, you know, at least in my church, we do communion every week and we drink the blood and eat the flesh. And that's just not going to go well with most um, modern sensibilities. It sounds gruesome, and yet it's it's right there. And to, to my mind, that, that, that communicates the extent of the sacrifice and uh, the, the compassion of entering into the cost structure of uh, the law, as well as the um, inability to be um, completely uh, subdued by it. I think of that quote from the movie Gandhi where uh, they're, they're on Gandhi and who's the clergyman? Is it Lance Andrews? Or I forget who it is, but they're on the top of a train, right? India. The one Indian says, oh, you're a Christian. Uh, my, my neighbor is Christian. She drinks blood. Every yeah, week. Vampire. Blood of Christ. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, kind of related to this idea um, is I thought what you 
It was a little section in there, just a couple paragraphs, but comparing Paul and Jesus, I thought that was really clever uh, because sometimes we just don't we don't talk about the fact there is a difference between Paul and Jesus. Um, You know, when people say to me, boy, I I like Jesus, but not Paul, I always say to him, if it wasn't for Paul, you wouldn't like Jesus quite as much, uh, because I think uh, the, uh, the doctrine of great Paul's doctrine of grace that we impose upon Christ makes some of those tough teachings of his. A little more palatable, but talk about that. I thought that um, was an interesting my section. Mind. What, where, what are we? Um, where is that in the book? Uh, I think it's when you say that basically you see that, that Jesus did it. Paul explains it. That that Paul is the divinely sanctioned um, explainer. Uh, of the yes, story I mean of that's Jesus. that's what I, I believe. I mean, I think that Paul taught what Jesus did, and um, uh, yes, yeah, I, th- I think oftentimes like a desire to separate the two some of it makes sense but it's usually because you you're don't want to you're trying to be selective about one aspect of each of each of them and it's hard to trust that part of myself that wants to be selective and yet paul um they're both extremely radical so i uh i'm trying to think exactly what we say um well, you do. I think you said, I mean, there's a sense where um, Paul interprets the meaning of Christ's life. And uh, and and I, and I would argue, again, we talk, we ask, we act as if, you know, when we say, you know, we see Paul, we hear Paul in his first voice. You know, we're getting Jesus through the through the, the eyes of the gospel writers. And I would argue that the gospel of Mark and the gospel of John uh, have very similar mm-hmm. views about what Jesus is up to. And so sometimes I think that's even a it's a false it's a false distinction but but realizing yes. that Paul like us only knows the resurrected Christ and and that has that's a totally different perspective than than uh then you know again Jesus is a great moral and ethical teacher which you know I find very useful when I'm doing interfaith uh, uh discussions or if I'm doing kind of a mm-hmm. history of moral idea ideas but as a christian um both the contrast and the complementary nature of them, um, I think, is very helpful. And I, I, I mean, they don't I like seem the to when, that the, when the apostles are preaching in Acts. I mean, they're not—they're just not talking about Jesus's moral teachings. I, it would be nice if they were. That they're really talking about what he what happened, what he, that he really rose from the dead. <laughs> so, yeah, like yeah, we're so different. We would have been doing. Remember that time, you know, we had the great antidotes. Jeez, that was yeah. so cool when the crazy naked guy came down the mountain. That's how we. That's how I would give the talk, and and uh, you know, but uh, no, I think you're right. That's that's interesting, David. One of the more provocative statements in the book, which I think is great and really interesting. If you could speak, it's actually in a footnote. So I don't mean to like quote footnotes to you, but uh, you. You say that, like you say that people sometimes speak of living the gospel or gospel in action, but this is a category mistake, a failure to see the new as new. The law may be acted out by mm. us, but the gospel is received. Well, that's the whole enchilada, isn't it? I mean, um, I think that we confuse the effects of the gospel, the fruit of the gospel, with the gospel itself. And uh, the gospel is a gift. It's the gift of Christ. Is is you know, shed blood, as we were just talking about. It's the justification of the sinner. It's the resurrection from the dead. I mean, it's not a, um, it's not the plan. You know, it's not some sort of a to-do. And that, 
any time we start to use the gospel as like a verb, you get into very dicey territory extremely quickly. And if the old Adam or the human, just human nature is so um, addicted to anything that will give it control, I mean, you we have to watch out for the ways that we will make grace, we will make gospel, we will make Jesus into a new a new law. And this, anything that we can do to domesticate uh, and to make it sexier to the human impulse to um, uh, to manipulate. So I, I, that is like something we wanted to say. I mean, the book is probably very radical in its way, and I, I don't want to downplay that part. But we were trying to write it freshly in a way that um, we weren't trying to write against too much, but say how, how – just trying to lay out – the entirety of the perspective in brief accessible language. And that's one of the things that we, uh, one of the way, one of the, well, we put it in a footnote because we felt like we were addressing a trend that was only certain people would be concerned with. Um, so that's why it's in a footnote, but I think it's really important. I think, you know, I, in the Episcopal church, I used the word gospel the other day and the person just like, it was like their mouth dropped open. They had no idea what I meant. And, you know, I, I mean, I could talk about gospel music, I'm sure, with them, but it was like, what do you mean? Is that radical hospitality that we do on Sundays? That's the gospel, you know, or is that – and um, what I was talking about when I talking about the gospel, I'm talking about the gospel of grace, of the forgiveness of sins, which cannot be made into a weapon or a uh, something to be gamed or a new strategy. It's It's a gift to be received. As as we said, and that that's one of my favorite sections of the book is gospel as a gift. We we want to make it into wage. We want to make everything into yeah. wage because that gives us leverage, comparison. I just have I have an off the wall question. Like, so your dad is probably a big influence on a mockingbird and 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 you know, as a theologian, pastor. Your Brother is an Episcopal. One of your brothers is an Episcopal clergyman, and then your other brother <laughs> is a theologian in England, right, Simeon? Like, what are your th- What are your Thanksgiving dinners like? Like, I mean, they're fun. I, I, like, I, I'm very grateful for my family. I got a father that is a total kook and uh, is never ending, sort of after what's true, and he's not um, a person that's at all settled. I mean, he's he's always. He's got a new frontier that he's looking in always. It's just how I was raised, and that's I think that translates into my brothers and uh, and myself. I'd say the the thing that probably distinguishes our family dinners the most uh, is we just laugh a lot. I mean, there's a lot of ridiculousness. So um, I'm grateful for my for my brothers. I mean, the, my brother Simeon has got really wonderful gifts in the academic world, and he's smartest person I know and my brother John is just a, an incredibly pastoral and his instincts I mean he wrote that he wrote a book on addiction his instincts when it comes to preaching and uh, loving other people are just sublime and um, I often feel like I'm just I get to uh, cheat you know I get to just uh, plagiarize both of them and my dad and it's like I feel if I have any gift to offer it's like the synthesis trying to take from various sources. And that's what we're trying to do in the book, though not the way we do on the website. It's just trying to um, trying to synthesize all these different things that we think are pointing to the exact same thing. I like to, I find that to be very um, fulfilling. 
Yeah, you know, your your father's um, podcast really inspired us. Uh, the analogy I would be, your father's <laughs> podcast is like, I'm from West Virginia, so it, it's like fresh moonshine, okay? <laughs> and we're just trying to be a little blended scotch. That's our goal <laughs> in comparison. But we certainly want to give, a, you know, an, uh, an homage to your dad because we appreciate his work as well as we do yours. Uh, we've been really thrilled by the way, yeah. the way that the book has been received. I think the brevity, hopefully the tone of it, is what um, is that's where I think the strength lies. That was the hardest part about writing; it was keeping it short. Yeah, one of the things I thought was Bill and I were just talking about this over lunch. The things I thought were I thought was a huge strength of it among many, but I don't know if you were thinking of it this way. But a lot of Christians are really anxious about sharing their faith. You know, they they, they, they they've got this wonderful gracious story and they're grateful and they'd like to pass it on. But a lot of people feel woefully, you know, ill-equipped to do that. What I like about the book so much is it, it makes so many connections to how faith in Jesus and connection with the grace that you meet in him actually rubs, you know, it rubs up against where the rubber meets the road on everyday life. Like at, at the country club, at the boardroom, it's a soccer mom is stressed and feeling like, oh my gosh, am I gaining too much weight? I got to get drop my kid off at school. Like, it just—I think it's almost like a like a good diagnostic of the of here's how everyone in your neighborhood is thinking about anxiety, about yeah. struggle, whether or not they're going to church or not. And I just think people, if they read it, uh, will be so much better equipped to talk about faith in ways that aren't contrived. And I, I wonder how many pastors who ask them, hey. This week, where was the law in your sermon and where was the gospel? I, I bet it would really be a question that would confuse I think it would a, confuse a lot of them, pastors. But I think it's a good question. To ask. Yeah, I, I like uh, the quote uh, from the book. Nothing shows our lack of freedom better than our addiction to control. <laughs> you know, I think if anything nails the way law is a force of death in contemporary, at least contemporary America, that, that really is it. You know, um, we are so far removed from the realities of our vulnerability. And part of that is because we have, uh, gosh, we work so hard to, to, to cover it up. I thought that's, that really well, I, summarizes you know, I think it's a, what it's you're a trying to do. People can read in an afternoon. So please, I think it's a, uh, we put our, everything we had into it. So I hope people uh, get something from it. And thank you guys. I'm grateful that that came across. And David, we thank you and your colleagues for writing the book. And uh, yeah, we look forward um, to uh, learning more from uh, Mockingbird. When you try your best, but you don't succeed. When you get what you want, but not what you need. When you feel so tired but you can't sleep Stuck in rivers And the tears come streaming down your face When you lose something you can't replace When you love someone 
Try.